You're a wizard, Harry. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and today is a very, very special day. We are recording today on July 31st, and that means it's our first episode. It's also Harry Potter's birthday. And if you're wondering if that's a coincidence, it definitely is not. Uh, We very much intended to have our first episode on Harry Potter's birthday. Uh, Thank you for being with us. Let's get started. We're going to go chapter by chapter through the series. Uh, Hopefully you read along with us. Uh, Let us know if you have any thoughts, comments. Our Twitter here at the podcast is at HogwartsUpod. So please let us know what you think. Uh, Give us any thoughts and comments on the chapters as you read them. Um, Join along on the conversation. Um, Since this is the first episode, uh, just a little background on me and how I got into the series. Um, I probably read the book about a year or two after it was published. Um, So, and I was introduced to it through English class. My teacher used it as a group reading in class kind of book. Um, And I just became very interested in it. And obviously I was around the same age as Harry at the time. I was around 11, 12 years old. So to me, throughout the series, I was almost growing up with the lead character. Um, and I identified with them on several different things, which we will discuss as we go through the series. But um, it was definitely growing up with a character. And as he experienced things, I was experiencing things. So it was very relatable. And um, yeah, I just kind of got hooked real quick. So that's a little background on me. We'll get more into what I liked, what I disliked, if there was anything that I disliked. And uh, we'll go on from there. But I'm very lucky on this first episode to have a guest talk about Harry Potter with me. And I'm lucky to have her because she's one of the Harry Potter aficionados that I respect the most. I've known her for a little bit now. So um, I'll turn it over to her and let her tell you what uh, got her into Harry Potter. This is Anna. Hi. Um, So yeah, like Dan said, my name's Anna. And I got into Harry Potter. Um, I actually started reading the books um, fairly soon after they were first published here in the U.S. I had this great librarian in grammar school who suggested them. My mom, you know, was scared they were going to be evil and witchcrafty. So she read them first and then I was allowed to read them. And um, I don't think my reason for loving the series is anything particularly original. Like Dan said, we're the Harry Potter generation. We grew up with Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And it was just this story that celebrated differences and love and friendship. And there were so many strong female characters. And remember when I was first reading this, it was the late 90s, early 2000s. We didn't have characters like Triss Pryor, Katniss Everdeen, the Me Too movement. 
but all these women were like a revelation empowering girls of our generation to go out and be themselves and whatever that meant and yeah i could keep going on and on because i love pretty much everything about the series but that is me and my introduction yeah we'll definitely get to all of the awesomeness of the series here soon but we're starting with chapter one the boy who lived so Obviously, this is our introduction to Harry Potter, um, yet, oddly enough, it starts off with our introduction to Vernon Dursley, uh, who's an interesting dude. Um, interesting. Yeah, he's uh, got, you know, one of those, I guess she described, J.K. Rowling describes Vernon Dursley and his family as like the most normal, mundane, boring family that you can ever have, uh, which is perfectly fine with them. Oh, they're proud of it. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, you know, he works in his little office job and, you know, likes to scream at people because he's that type of dude. Um, but it starts off with him kind of going about his day and suddenly noticing some odd things are happening in town. Um, and I guess my first big takeaway from chapter one is she does a really good job of introducing you to the Harry Potter world and you don't even really realize it. Um, she does it very subtly, and she gives you a lot in this first chapter. Um, obviously, Anna and I have both read this series extensively, probably through multiple what? times. Um, but we'll get into a spoiler section later. Um, but yeah, no, she does a really good job of introducing some major characters, um, which, um, things like Dumbledore, uh, McGonagall, and Hagrid, as long as, as well as the Dursleys, so... What are some big takeaways for you? Um, well, like you said, I was really impressed by the subtlety of the introduction, especially to probably Dumbledore. Just you don't even realize how much information you're taking in about what will become a super important character. And I almost feel like it hits you even more when you do go back to reread. Um, so I really liked that. Um, how subtle she is without us even realizing. And just that even in this very first chapter, like you said, Dumbledore, Hagrid, and McGonagall, three such great characters, so important characters, and we're introduced to them right off the bat at the same time as having this weird, almost kind of sitcom narration through the day of Mr. and Mrs. Dursley. That really struck out to me. Like, you don't even find out Mr. Dursley's Christian name throughout the entire first chapter. You don't even know his first name is Vernon. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, it, it, like I said, struck me as kind of almost a narration through their day in the life. I kind of liked that. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely an interesting look as he's noticing all of these changes around him, whether it be uh, a weird cat that seems to be reading a sign, but that can't happen. It's definitely not reading. It can't read. Or people dressed oddly. Um, who he refers to the people who are dressed oddly as these young kids today. Which, when you think about it, and obviously you wouldn't... We know this as fans already. He's got to be, what, in his early to mid-20s at this point? But he's still referring to all these kids in cloaks as these, like, young kids today. Oh my gosh, they're so weird. I guess I never did think about Vernon's age. Um, but you're right. He probably would be younger than I 
envisioned him to be. Like, I envisioned him as an old, angry man of, like, you know, 50s, maybe? That's kind of, like, what he is. Yeah. wants to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I never really thought about that. But you're right. Um, he is probably a younger guy. So maybe the younger, like, the teenagers. Yes. These young, rebellious teenagers wearing their cloaks. <laughs> and... Um, Flamboyant colors. Let's just say that. Like, uh, I think there's magenta or emerald or... There's definitely uh, a violet. Violet, yeah, yeah. Something like, yeah. Um, definitely weird for a guy that picked out, I believe, his most boring tie to go to work. Um, awesome. Um, very exciting life that they live. But something that stuck out to me when I was kind of reading this chapter for the first time and, again, is um, the idea of... <laughs> McGonagall and, well, I, I guess, J.K., how she describes all these characters. Mm -hmm. um, it just struck me as so vivid this last time of how you describe Dumbledore, how you describe McGonagall and Hagrid. And, um, they're so vivid, and some of them fit even my notions now, and some of them do not fit my notions now. Really? Yes. That's interesting. So when I think of um, Dumbledore, the, the thing she mentions in this first chapter is him wearing high-heeled buckled boots, and I've just never, never once in my life have envisioned him wearing those. But okay, there, there they are. Yeah. Um, but I, I love her description of McGonagall. It's pretty much dead on. Um, Especially when she even describes... When she's still in cat form, and we don't even know it's actually McGonagall, mm -hmm. that she gives her Mr. Dursley the stern look. Like, that's McGonagall as a whole, to the point yes. that she gives a stern look as a cat. Yes. Um, it's definitely an indicator of what kind of human being she is. And then even the way she's questioning Dumbledore, trying to poke at him for information, um, is just very her. Um, but she also has that deferential respect to him, which you can also see of just immediate deference of just like, okay, whatever you tell me is the truth, True. and I am just blatantly accepting that, and I'm not going to poke prod, you know, because that's, you said it, so it has to be true, which is just an interesting dynamic. You also got to her, like, teddy bear middle that you don't really see right away when she, mm. like, she starts crying when they're talking about Lily and James, and... That's not really something you get right away from her, the persona she immediately puts out to the world. But at her center, she cares so much about everybody. Uh, and then Hagrid is just a fascinating character mm -hmm. coming in on a motorbike. Um, and the description of how massive he is. Twice as tall as a normal human. Five times the width. Dustbins for hands. Yes. Uh, that is a large, large um, figure that's would be intimidating and scary. And but holding a tiny little baby and cooing over him. It's, it's kind of amazing to kind of think about. And then Dumbledore says something really interesting about Hagrid when McGonagall questions the choice of why did you send Hagrid of all people? And he says, I trust him with my life. Yes. Which... Does that say more about Dumbledore or more about Hagrid? It says more about Hagrid, I think. Okay. Um, oh, man, that's a good question, though, because it does say a lot about Dumbledore. It does. Which we can get into a little bit more in yes. the spoiler section. Agreed, agreed. But it does say a lot about, honestly, both of them. Um... 
but yeah, no, that's that's a good point to bring up. Um, obviously, the three of them being surrounding um, that moment, and and Harry being dropped off at the Dursleys, um, it's significant. Why have those three characters there? You don't need all three of them there. You could have just had Hagrid do it. You could have just had Dumbledore do it or McGonagall. You could have had all three, um, but you had all three of them there consistently. And I think that's um, a really important indicator um, going forward. Um, the thing that Dumbledore uses, the first bit of real magic that you see in the whole series is uh, the put outer. Um, what a fun introduction to magic. It really is. Uh, it's a cool little thing. Uh, Almost technology, not yeah. really magic. It's magical technology, if you want to. And also, just kind of random. Like, who thinks to create a little device that just sucks light out? It's yeah. It's a really interesting little gadget um, that's used, which um, yeah, just shows up really, really early. And I, I think it is our first magical thing, right? So, well, they talk about on the Muggle news about the shooting stars and the owls, but we don't really for sure know that's magic magic. Right. I think, yeah. McGonagall mentions it later. Like, they're right. shooting, yeah. Dennis Diggle. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, they they mention a lot of other characters other than these three. Um, the Dallas Diggle, um, who we'll talk a little bit more about a little later in this episode. Um, they mention... Someone by the name of Voldemort. Mm. Yes. Properly pronounced Voldemort. Voldemort. JK really didn't tell us that. Voldemort. So all of the books were out, so that's fair. Voldemort. Voldy. <laughs> I'm going to call him Voldy from here on out. Um, so, uh, and uh, some guy called Sirius Black. Sirius <gasps> Black. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Hagrid borrows the motorbike from Sirius Black, which... I gotta say, if I had a motorcycle that flew, uh, I don't think I'd want to give it up. Not to a giant. Like I'd feel like he'd <laughs> like, crush my bike or something. Like you gotta be very, uh, very sure it's not gonna crumble under that massive dude. But or maybe you just don't feel attachment to it anymore. Maybe. Bum, bum, bum. Maybe maybe. But yeah, it's um, it's a very interesting chapter with just how much. They introduce, um, I will say, if you're reading this for the first time, um, not a whole lot of random detail. No. You'd want to try to read this chapter and, and really let it sink in and absorb it. Yeah. Because there's a lot here, and quite honestly, it's all important. <laughs> it is all important. So. Which, understandable if you don't think it, if it seems maybe almost even a little boring your first read through but it's important it's one of those chapters that every time i reread it i am surprised at how much there is in it yeah. and i'm like oh wow okay i forgot this was part of this oh wow i forgot that was part wow this was in this okay um so yeah if you're reading for the, this for the first time uh that's awesome and um yeah really really let it sink in and really let it uh kind of settle because yeah. there's there's a lot there I'm so, glad you're reading it for the first time. Yes. So um, at this point, we're going to transition to a... Sp 
spoiler part where we're going to talk about the Harry Potter world at large, some of the other books, some of the other fandom, whatever we end up going in whatever tangent. Um, so if you haven't read past chapter one, now would be the time to stop and then join us for our next podcast, um, which will be in a week. And I think we're going to cover chapters two and three together. Bonus episodes. Woo. Yes, two for one deal. So we'll be back after a short break. Thank you for listening. All right, so we are back with our spoiler section of Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived. Um, so we brought up some interesting things in our non-spoiler that we kind of wanted to elaborate on a little bit more fully because we can. Um, so let's just get the diggle thing out of the way. <laughs> Real quick. Um, of all the names in the entire series to it's drop in the first chapter... It's like, okay, we're dropping, that's who we're dropping? All right. And it's one of the things that I always thought of when I reread this chapter of like, what? <laughs> Why is he here? But okay, that's fine. And he's here like multiple times. Oh, yeah. in this, so. And he's always wearing a top hat, which might be why he's one of my favorites. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, that's that muggle fashion that they have to try to... Uh, try to <laughs> try to copy, I guess? I don't know. Fit in. Uh, Whatever. Uh, but that being said, he is an important character. Yes. Um, member of the Order of the Phoenix, fought in both Wizarding Wars. Um, so he's quite the veteran. Yeah. Um, McGonagall doesn't think terribly highly of him. No. But, um, but that's okay. That's okay. I mean, like, honestly, though, objectively speaking, if he survived both wars. A lot of really impressive witches and wizards did not incredibly impressive so i mean that's and he was on the front lines being a member of the order of phoenix you're on the hit list oh yeah so and he was an order i believe or was he not an order mm, i don't believe so not an order so yeah i mean but being a member of the order has got a target on your back yeah and he's handpicked to protect harry's family i mean it may not sound like the most important because do we care about the dursleys but still, there's larger reasons to protect them. Exactly, because without Petunia, we're in some trouble as far as what protections are actually on him. So well, true. So I mean, she kind of has to be in the picture, as horrible as she is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but and you mentioning the top hat. Um, I want to get this out of the way too. So wizarding clothes. So goofy. It's weird, which. Vernon mentions, um, but this is like, for me at least, this is the f one time where it's like thrown in your face, the wizarding clothes, and I feel like it's just very background from here on out, if it's even a thing at all. I'm like, this is kind of odd. But it's true. Well, it's kind of like you mentioned Dumbledore's heel buckled shoes. Like, I, you don't I don't know about things, and maybe it's because why would she focus on fashion why when re -describe all this something is going again. on? Mm -hmm. But you're right. It's true. God, I'll never think of Dumbledore in those boots. No, I don't. Like, not even a little bit. I don't <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, it's just something I noticed in the book again that I'm just like, huh, that's that's weird. Um, but that's okay. Um, you brought up a great question about uh, Dumbledore and his trust in Hagrid. Yes. Which I thought was a great point. Um, and worthy of some elaboration in the spoiler section. I need it. 
<laughs> Humble as always. <laughs> um, but yeah. I just think um, as the series goes on, you know, it becomes an issue more and more. Jumbledore's trust. Like, do the people he trusts deserves his trust? Hayden Hagrid is the first example of this in that statement. I would trust Hagrid with my life. And McGonagall says, you know, clearly she has doubts that Hagrid is responsible enough. Hagrid proves himself moving forward. He lets some important things slip to some people who shouldn't have some information. So is Hagrid as worthy of Dumbledore's trust or is this just Dumbledore trusting when he shouldn't be? I think we both know Hagrid deserves it because Hagrid is amazing and it is a statement on Hagrid because we all love him and Harry would not be Harry without him. But um, I just think it's a question worth asking. So as much as I love Dumbledore, I do think his motives are twofold here. Oh, of course. He um, has twofold motives. Yeah. So, you know, does he trust Hagrid? Yes. Um, why does he trust Hagrid is a whole other question. <laughs> It's like, I, so there's two parts to Hagrid. There's the uh, mental, emotional side of him. And then there's literally the physical side of him that no one can deny. <laughs> um, so just strategically, if you want somebody to protect something, a giant is a pretty good option. Yeah. Hard to take down. Yeah. Um, which he proves throughout the series in other different ways. Uh, not an easy guy to kill or capture or whatever you want to say. So strategically, just a good person to maybe put in that role. Um, and then secondarily, I think Dumbledore likes to... Um, how do I say this? Pick his targets? Like, Hagrid, we find out later in the next chapter or two was expelled from Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. um, and who kind of picks him off the trash heap of wizards is Dumbledore. You don't think Dumbledore ever thought at all that this guy's going to be valuable in some way, <laughs> shape, or form. How can I utilize this to my advantage? Here's how. And I could just save him put him in, you know, a corner of Hogwarts and just kind of save him for when I need him, uh, which ends up happening a lot. Um, Dumbledore does this a lot throughout the series. He, like, strategically picks who he has around him. And then I don't want to say manipulates. Well, it goes but... back to Dumbledore and the secrets that he keeps. Yeah. He knows particularly, since we're talking about Hagrid, he, by saving Hagrid when he was expelled, instilled just lifelong loyalty in Hagrid for him. He is just so, so, so in love with Dumbledore. So Dumbledore doesn't necessarily need to explain himself to Hagrid when he asks Hagrid to do something for him. Hagrid's just going to do it because right. Dumbledore asked him to and he's going to be super proud of it. So Dumbledore is able to keep his motives to the side and doesn't have to explain himself. And that's always going to be key for, for Albus. It's interesting, and he walks that line of, like, he's doing it for a good reason. At least what he thinks good. he, yes. Wow, okay, that's a deep dive <laughs> in the first chapter, first episode. We don't need to go there. Just wanted to drop that in there. Yep. Um, well done. <laughs> so, but yes, he, he, for his point of view, he's doing it for a 
good reason or a, um, you know, a trusted reason or however you want to phrase it. Because uh, he is a good person. Yes, he is. I'm not saying he, you know, is throwing Hagrid to the wolves or anything. Um, but he, well, I mean, he is because he's, uh, <laughs> that's an, <laughs> we'll get there too. He's the teacher. Never mind. We'll get there. Happens to us a lot. Jumping way ahead. Yeah, I know. We bounce all over the place. Uh, welcome to our conversations that we have. Oh, except they're not going to be like two hours long. We promise we'll keep it under that. Do we? Kidding. For right now, we'll keep it under two hours. Uh, but anyway. Um, you no, know, so it's an interesting kind of, I trust Hagrid with my life quote. There's a lot to that quote um, that you can unpack and unpile. And I'm sure we will as the series goes on because there's a lot to it. Um but yeah, that relationship's very interesting. The relationship of those three characters is very interesting. So, uh, you know, and, you know, Dumbledore knows things about Hagrid that McGonagall does not. True. Um, so he's privy to more information. And um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic between the three of them. Um, and obviously they're in Harry's life. For a very significant portion. So important in Harry's life. So again, it's it's interesting to see how the three of them are there at that very seminal moment and I in the like first it. chapter. Yeah. Um so yeah, we'll we'll get more to that later in the <laughs> series, but it's a big quote and it's a big moment that each of us had on our notes independently. <laughs> so you know it was good. Um so Dumbledore and his put outer. Hmm. Who would have guessed that'll end up being as important as it is? Yeah. A little throwaway object becomes a massive part of the series. And, like, the, like literally it bookends the series. It does. <laughs> which it is, does. Which is just says so much about J.K. Rowling. But we can talk about that as we read later. You know, that Dumbledore is a sly one because he changed the name. <laughs> they were like, put out her. I know what that is. No, we can't let him have the thing that turns out lights. That's very dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah, it changes the name of it. But um, yeah, this is an interesting thing that another one of those things that's in the first chapter that you just don't expect being... No, well, like we said, it just seems like it's going to be a fun introduction to magic and just getting you ready for the world you're about to enter. And then flash forward to when you're wondering how this series you've fallen in love with is going to end. And, oh, my God, it's back. And, oh, my God, it's saving one of my personally favorite characters. And it's just you never would have guessed. It's one of those things that you almost forget about so it. Important. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, what? That wasn't in the series, right? Oh, no, it was. Yeah, okay. Um, other thing about Dumbledore in this chapter that I just have to point out is when he shows up on Privet Drive, he apparates. Yes. And uh, he does so silently. Which... That's a good point. As we know, apparition not silent. Never. Uh, now, you could argue Dumbledore is a very talented dude, and this was a time of covertness that he's coming out of. Fair. He might have some tricks up his sleeve that not many other wizards have. Fair. But darn it, those boots would make some noise. <laughs> just, just going back. They click down the street. Some. I'm just saying. Whatever. I'm just saying. Okay. 
But no, the apparition thing always stuck out with me too, rereading, because I'm just like, huh, that's... No, that's a good point. I didn't even really catch that, but... Yeah. So, that was an interesting point that I thought of. Um, McGonagall's ability to turn into a cat, um, you know, introducing it in the first chapter, you might think it's a relatively common thing. Like, oh, witches must do this all the time, or wizards can do this. It's not... Yeah. It's a particular talent, even for someone, they don't obviously say what she's teaching, but even for transfiguration specialists, it's a, it's, it's a unique talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Dumbledore figured, I can't imagine Dumbledore didn't know about this ahead of time. Well, you'd have to. She's registered. But she's like, how did you know it was me? I'm like, really? Oh, that's a good point. But like, how could he not <laughs> know it was you? <laughs> <laughs> that's just like my thinking about it. It's like, really? You literally have like square no, marks no, around here. It's like, you revere him so much on so much other stuff. And then this one, you're just like, how did you know? Well, maybe she wanted to be sneaky. Maybe she tried to keep it hidden from him. No cat sits so sternly. Yes. <laughs> um, so that was another thing that just got me. Um, and obviously, you know, you could say JK didn't exactly know the phenomenon this was going to turn into when she was at least writing this first book, let alone maybe a couple books into her writing. She didn't know how big this was going to be. Yeah. I think the first book was published for like 50,000 copies or something like that. And then one of the later books is like 5 million copies <laughs> in the first night. So, I mean, it's like, how could you really predict like yeah. from one to the other? But. Um, yeah, it's just some interesting first chapter details of the first book. Um, yeah, any other things that you had from the first chapter that you wanted to illuminate? I know you're no, a big serious black person. I am a big serious black person, but it's, it, I guess it always was funny to me. That's actually one of, don't ask me why I remember this so much, but I remember having a trivia question once because as I'm sure the series goes on, you will find out about Dan and I, we're big trivia people. And I remember I got a Harry Potter trivia question wrong once when I was, the question was, when is the first time Sirius Black is mentioned in the series? And I had completely forgotten he's even mentioned in this first chapter at the time. And again, such an important character and just complete throwaway little tiny mention. And, Do you um, think she, I'm assuming she knew the significance oh, of her, to that character. So, so much. To just slyly, like the put outer, maybe she just came back to that was randomly and just like, oh, I'm just going to use that here. But I think but even Black this is, first chapter alone shows the forethought she put into where this series is going to go. I mean, introducing Animagus. Animagus becomes such a huge, important part mm-hmm. in Prisoner of Aspen, Goblet of Fire, and um, now Sirius Black. I think I think she did that on purpose, even mentioning why would he lend something that he loved so much to Hagrid? I don't know. Did he? She already knew that Sirius Black wasn't going to need his motorbike anymore because I think she already had big plans for him. Well, Sirius Black's life around this moment gets very complicated. <laughs> so, I don't know if we want to talk about that now or if we want to hit that at a later time. But yes, right around now, Sirius Black's life gets very, very messy. Um, I think we should save that for save that when one. we go deep diving into the Marauders. Fair, yes. fair enough. Um... 
I, I think this is maybe one of the biggest glimpses we have into the Dursleys, like, day-to-day life. Oh, most definitely. Um, and it's a necessary glimpse into their life, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these first couple, obviously, these first couple chapters, you have Harry with them specifically. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a very interesting, uh, even just <laughs> knowing that Vernon works at Grunnings, which is a drill <laughs> company, it's like, wow, that's a deep detail that I'm sure will come up in one of our trivia things at some some oh, point down the road. Um, at least I hope it does, because now I'll never forget. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting detail of their lives. and um, Well, I'm kind of setting them up as the epitome example of normality and conformity and kind of laying seeds for how this is not a great environment for... A wizarding child who just lost his parents and has no other magical family. It, obviously, it's not going to be a good environment for him. So I think it's kind of setting you up for, hey, Harry is about to maybe not have the best of childhoods. For sure. And uh, we'll leave it on that. Not the best of childhoods. We'll leave it on that. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. It's going to be a running theme through the first couple of really chapters. So um, we'll leave it there. Hopefully you enjoyed the discussion of chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. Uh, please read along with us. We're going to do chapters two and three on the next episode because we're going to jam a lot in there. So a two for one for the next week. Um, if you have any questions or comments for us. Please reach out to the Twitter at Hogwarts a pod. Um, if you have any questions for me on the side, my Twitter is at Daniel underscore Allen 44. And Anna? mine is at a C underscore Solger. It's S-O-L-G-E-R. And uh, yeah, let us know. Uh, be part of the conversation. That's always the fun thing to hear from everyone else. Thanks. And uh, we'll see you again. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.